Hey friends, welcome to the Live Your Freaking Life podcast. I'm your host, Christine. I'm your other host, Selena. We are two BFFs and life coaches, and we talk about the science of happiness and well-being to help you live your freaking life. And we're excited because we're starting a new series today. Yes. We are talking about resilience. Yes, bouncing back. Bouncing back and bouncing back better, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. It is. And I'm, I think it's cool because it really, when you think about it, we just came out of the series about, we talked about global happiness, how different countries around the world experience happiness. And this, we're getting into the nitty gritty because research actually shows that resilient people have are more happy. Mm-hmm. They have more joy. They're more content. And so, um, yeah, so we're going to spend a few weeks diving into what we can do to kind of shift our mindset, to be more resilient, to bounce back in the face of adversity and to be able to really live our freaking lives. Yeah. But yeah, it's good stuff. Before we do that. Yeah. Let's catch up here. Let's catch up. Let's catch up. What's been going on with you? Oh, that's a great question. I'm not... <laughs> I don't remember. Um, what did we do since I was last year? It's not hard for me. What did we do this weekend? This past weekend? Well, I will tell you something you did. Tell me. Well, not necessarily the past weekend, but last night. So this is the second time in a Oh, restaurant. I know, right? And I've driven into a restaurant parking lot. I know. That is not normal for me to go to. Yeah. And seen your car. Yeah. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So last night, mm-hmm. you, we're we're pulling up. Saw your car. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And then um, we're heading in, and you're walking out, which is exactly almost exactly what happened the time before yes. that. Yeah, yes, crazy. But I do want to talk about something controversial. Oh, for here it comes. Heat's sake. Listen, I, I don't care. Listen, this is going to be like I don't lid up here. Lit. I I do. I know you care deeply. I care so I, deeply. Just this is not. like the lit up, lid down controversy of uh, months ma'am, ago. This is not life or death. Oh, this, this is, is not inhaling feces. This okay, is it's not even close. So don't even go there with it that. So you close. are so full of actual shit so, right now. Yes, so close. Oh yeah, okay. totally. Listen, my there are going to be some people, probably yeah, some people who are going to completely resonate with this. And some are going to be on your side, but real foodies will be on mine. Okay. Oh, my word. We got to talk about it, Selena. Oh, I'm thrilled. This is, I live to eat. And so this is important. So I asked you you what you had for dinner last night at Ganley's. And here's what I said. I had their Mm cheesesteak because I had gotten it the last time I was there, maybe a month ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm always on the lookout for a really good cheesesteak. Mm-hmm. Peanut bar was pretty good, but it's so hit or miss. I feel like it just depends on who you get back there. Because okay. I've had some good ones and I've had some really crappy ones from the peanut bar. Okay. But Ganley's cheesesteak. I don't know why. This is an Irish pub. It is so good. It is my favorite cheesesteak in the area, which I did not expect. Which is crazy. So, and and I guess I don't get cheesesteaks at places like that ever. So yeah. that's number one, right? Because you only get a cheesesteak from cheesesteak place, right? Because there is a way. I am my father's daughter, right? Clearly. My father was a cheesesteak snob and he raised me that way. And so I'm not even apologizing for it. I cannot associate any kind of snobbery with the liberal use of cheese whiz. 
I'm sorry. Oh, wait, I'm the sorry. The two do not go together. Don't get cheese whiz on my cheesecake. Okay. I'm not saying I don't ever do that. Because that's it's disgusting more of like a me. nostalgia thing. If I'm in South Philly and I go to Pat's, fine, I'll get it wit whiz. But no. No. That's gross. Uh, that's not even, they're not even real cheesesteaks. Now I might get some people fired up. But they're not. So, and you also have to remember, I grew up in Philly. I spent my teenage years mm-hmm. in Philly. I worked at Corner Deli. I made cheesesteaks the right way. Okay. With real cheese, not cheese whisk. I wish we had video. Let right me now. finish. Because if y'all could see my face. You don't care. I care passionately about this. When I need you to know, this is why I'm passionate about this. Grew up in Philly. Well, you know, teenage years, Philly, young adult years, Philly. Moved to Berks County. Let me just tell you about my first experience. I miss cheesesteak so bad. My husband owned a video store and next door was a pizza shop. And I was like, oh, I just, let's go to Philly. I just need a cheesesteak. And he's like, no, no. Oh my gosh. Let's go to VNS. <laughs> he's like, they have the best cheesesteaks. I'm so, let's go get you a cheesesteak. Back in the eighties, maybe not oh, anymore. Can I tell you my experience? It was terrible. No, not back in the eighties, not in the nineties, not ever. I walked into VNS. God love you all. You don't know. You don't know. It's ignorance. I walk into VNS. And, and Venus has a place, right? Like, please, I'm not, no disrespect. No, here's the thing. They used to be really good. When I was a kid, they were the place to go for sandwiches in general. Again. They have gone downhill. Okay. Like, but, if, they. but if you don't know, you don't know, right? Sure. Because it's, it, it, no, it was never a, a village cheesesteak. Here's what happened. I walk into this, this steak shop and I order a cheesesteak and I watch them stand at the grill, pull out a bucket like a metal bucket of pre-cooked meat, throw it on the grill, add a little water for steam, Mm -hmm. put the cheese on top, put a lid on, put it on this roll that was from the pit of hell. (laughs) This soft roll. I, I could, I was like, I literally started to cry. I've heard you tell this story before, and I still cannot believe you started to cry. I started to cry. I was like, I need to leave. I need to go back to Philadelphia. I'm sorry. I love you, Jim, but this relationship has to be over because I can't find a cheesesteak in Berks County. It was terrible. It's gotten better. There are some actual good good places that make cheesesteaks now. Here's the problem. Frank then says, and she got sauce on her steak. Okay, first of all, it (gasps) came on it. Oh no, gosh. Okay, the reaction you are having to sauce on a cheesesteak is exactly how I feel about cheese whiz on a cheesesteak. That's fine. It's disgusting. I just told you I don't eat cheesesteak. Cheese whiz on my cheesesteaks. Sauce on a cheesesteak. That's a pizza steak, people. You get provolone cheese and sauce. Call it a pizza steak. It's not a cheesesteak. Stop putting sauce on a cheesesteak. Okay. My Let blood me... pressure is rising. Right I know. Now. And whatever whatever get a grip off topic but you know how like okay my husband's from massachusetts i'm trying to be resilient here in berks county Mm -hmm. there are just some things that we make differently when he hears chicken pot pie oh don't you roll your eyes at me when the camera's not rolling oh you think you're slick get out of here with your face (laughs) whatever when he hears chicken pot pie, he yeah. expects a pot pie in a pie dish in a crust with all those things. No. When you say chicken pot pie here in Berks County, it's an entirely different thing. My grandmother it's made it big, big square noodles. Yeah. It's homemade very dough. good. Oh my gosh, I love it. It's my so favorite. So 
there's just apparently a different way that we do cheesesteaks here in Berks County as compared to Philadelphia. And dare I say, Miss, I'm a snob and like stupid cheesesteaks, um, that they're just as good, just different. They're not just as good. Yes, okay. they are. Now, I'm not talking about the VNS pulling out the gross meat. I'm not talking about that. Yeah. I'm and that happened several places. I watched it. Oh, happen. I'm sure. And yeah, I was just like, sandwich I'm crying right now yeah. because this is like, no. So anyway, I was not, I was more upset about the sauce on the cheesesteak. Most times where you go, when you go to Berks County, they do automatically, yeah, they do. you get sauce. I, it's so I'm good. like, it's so good. No it's sauce. so good. We're going to do like an Instagram poll. We should. Do you like sauce on your cheesesteak or not? Well, most of the people that or in our circle mm-hmm. they're from this area oh so, sad. so you're gonna Does win you're gonna lose you're gonna win oh. but i i still win oh, because i'm talking here's here's the encouragement everyone if you've not been to philly and had a real cheesesteak go get one and just experience the difference you will never look back are you done i'm done <laughs> I had to. I just had to. Uh, you know what? The minute the word, no, not the minute. The second the word you left knew. my out my mouth when you asked me what I got to eat, I was like, shoot, I should not have told her that. Yeah. Because she's gonna go on a tirade. Yeah. And you did. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're a foodie and I respect your foodiness and you're an amazing cook. So first I was shocked that you would get a cheesesteak at an Irish pub. I know, right? I know. But hey, okay, fine. If you're hungry for a cheesesteak, try it out. So you did and you liked it. The big thing for me was when Frank said you got sauce on that baby. I was like, I and don't, I said to you, I don't think it can be friends. a little shit disturber. I don't believe Why would he tell you that? This he is, tells you that because he knows he's stirring the pot. I divorced so you. So this is Frank's I fault. You. I divorced you. It's Frank's fault. That's it. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, can you think of anything <laughs> that you did over the weekend? <laughs> um... Gosh, no, I don't even remember what we did. Okay. Saturday... I know we went out Saturday, we went shopping because I'm trying to find an outfit for Taylor Swift, which is not I was gonna easy. Say, you have an exciting weekend coming up. Well, this weekend is prom. Oh gosh. I'm so I know you keep, I you got to stop trying to bring it up. Just let me bring Taylor it up. You don't Swift know. It's like coming up. Yeah. No. Well, it is. It's in two weeks, but yeah. So this weekend is prom. So we are Aww. very much looking forward to that. But Aww. yeah, I don't remember. Well, that's what okay. else? Yeah, I tried to find Show an outfit. Weekend. It was raining all not weekend. Successful. It was a great weekend. Stay home. Yeah, yeah. I will say though, in the last week, I have read three books. Three. Because it's been raining. Three books. Um. Yeah, I read. Um. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna like draw a blank now. I know it. I read the last thing he told me, mm-hmm. which is now a series on Apple Plus. Um. The book was meh. Okay. I would give it two and a half, maybe three stars. Okay. Maybe. Um, oh my gosh. What else did I read? Oh, no, wait. I can tell you right now. Do it. It's right in front of me. I read, I finished the Paris bookseller. Oh, that is at three and a half stars for me. Maybe four. Okay. I loved this book, historical fiction, um, about the Shakespeare and company bookstore, which still exists in Paris. I want to go. It was fascinating I really really actually love that story and then my Colleen Hoover palate cleanser ugly love I was not ready I oh. was not ready for that one how many I stars? thought I was ready for that one I mean I think I give it four what on earth it was okay 
Now, Colleen Hoover, she can be hit or miss. Okay. Right. This book was uh, quite steamy. <laughs> and I've read some other ones of her oh. before that are pretty borderline steamy. This was like, oh, oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> A couple times in the book. But you want to sh- the share an example? Oh, shut your face. You know, I don't. get out of here. Get out of here with your face again. <laughs> um, but the ending, I'm not kidding you. The last uh maybe hour of me reading maybe 45 minutes or so of the book at the end I was crying the whole thing whoa tears it was so good maybe I'll just read the end (laughs) (laughs) no it won't make any sense to you (laughs) so anyway that's what I did ugly love ugly love okay this is interesting I know you know but if you're not prepared for steamy don't bother you used the word you, you used loved with the first book you talked about the Paris bookseller you use loved and three and a half to four stars. Yes. Which, so what, what word would you describe if you, if you would say five star? So love, 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 love. Oh, five star is life-changing. Mm-hmm. Everybody on the planet needs to read this. Oh. Like the book thief, five stars. Okay. If you have never read the book thief, pick up that book. Mo- one of the most incredible things I have ever read. Did I read that? Well, if you did, it apparently did not have the impact on you that it did on me. How did you not read that? <laughs> oh, my I word. loved the, 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 what was it called? Apothecary. Oh, the lost, the last lost apothecary. Oh my God. The lost apothecary. That's Listen, good. That's going to come up in our book club. I Is think, it? Because okay. that book yeah, was one read of that. my favorites. So good. All right. I need, I'm, I got to read the book. Thief. Let's do that. Oh my gosh, it's a lot. I I have to see like who's already read it because oh, I right. think a lot of people have. It's been around for a long time. Like my kids read it before I did. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. They had read it in school and all that. I need so. to catch up. Yeah. Okay. So, anything interesting for you this uh, past weekend? Yeah, I think maybe a little. Tell me. I was in the hospital. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. Yeah. So last week I was supposed to go to Atlanta. Yeah. For the Orange Conference. Woke up at two o'clock in the morning uh upset stomach that then turned into four hours later calling 911 and an ambulance coming and taking me away yeah they thought I had stomach uh, they thought I had uh, food poisoning um it was one of the worst experiences of my entire life yeah and I'm not exaggerating it was horrific I it, it was stupid like it was just stupid that's why I kept thinking the whole this is just stupid and I thought I was dying yeah I seriously thought I was dying I for me to say I have to go to the hospital. Oh, right. Yeah. Call the ambulance. I mean, for me, I dialed myself 911. Jim was going to take me. And he walked out of the room and I was like, 911, come get me because I am sure that I'm dying. Got in the ambulance. I was just, I was really sick. I won't get into the gross details. Um, Really sick. And uh, my temperature was 95 degrees. When they took it. That is so weird. My blood pressure was like 180 over 160 something. Oh my word. I was shaking, like convulsing. I was so dehydrated within four hours. It was insane. Um, They admitted me, had me overnight for observation. Time to find out the next day. I had the neurovirus, AKA the stomach bug. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, got it extremely bad. Yeah. And, um, and it literally up until, I mean, you saw me yesterday and mm-hmm. you were like, oh my gosh, look at you up. Yeah. You're you going to go eat. Yeah. And so it, I would say yesterday was the first day I really felt 
like myself, still yeah. a little tired and a little weak, but um, can eat real food and not yeah have lots of problems. So yeah, that was that's wild. Awful. That's awful. Really, really wild. Um, yeah. So I am so sorry. I am so thankful to be yeah. uh to be better and yeah. Um, here's what I will say. What because it was raining because I was so sick I would have been sitting outside a lot but I binged watched Indian matchmaker on Netflix you texted you texted me about that I've never seen it Jim was like are you okay like I I literally could not probably like you reading these books yeah I could not stop three seasons of Indian matchmaker I loved it. Yeah. I love anything that's going to be like, I'm going to learn about different cultures. Okay. And the Indian culture has always fascinated me. I want to go so bad. Now I want to go even more. But it wasn't just India. It was people from India that live or, you know, their, their um, parents are from India or whatever, right? Um, so it's like this whole concept of, you know, obviously there's ranged marriages and then there's love marriages. And this concept is somewhere in the middle okay where there's literally so take like the app the online dating apps mm-hmm. to the next level where now there's a person involved matching profiles okay and setting updates right mm-hmm. um and just watching the family dynamics and oh my gosh it's fascinating yeah so so good and it reminded me of this kind of funny because i'm watching her um the 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 matchmaker who's just a badass and she's just awesome. And I was thinking about like, there's so many parallels to what I do with slingshot where I'm ma- I'm a matchmaker with slingshot, right? right like right. there's nonprofits and churches that reach out to me and say, Hey, I'm looking for a staff member. And I have a database of candidates and I match them. Mm-hmm. And just the dynamics of like how sometimes these like people are super unrealistic. Like I don't want much. Just and then they list out twenty thousand. Yeah. It's things. like watching House Hunters on HGTV. Yeah, and they won't even like they look at a profile and then they're like, "Yeah, next." They won't even meet the person, talk to the person, nothing. And I'm like, Mah. "Um, so yeah." But then also the happy endings sometimes were really, really yeah cool. I don't know. I, I just I want another season, please, 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 please. Yeah, yeah. So nice. That is the extent of my uh life that was your weekend yeah yeah anyway wow I know so much did you last did you watch the last episode of the Goldbergs yet you know what I haven't watched the Goldbergs in like two years what I know I know that's really odd I thought I you loved your car was named Beverly oh yeah oh yeah because my car overreacts with all the safety features yeah, yeah. oh yeah yeah no I haven't watched it in ages hmm. I know well Jim loves that show and I don't love it till I'm watching it yeah I'm like I'm like I don't want to watch it and then he puts it on anyway and then I'm like oh the last last was like last night was yeah. like the last I think it was last a series night. finale yeah 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 oh it's sad I don't, I, no I like fun. the show I, mean, I think we just kind of got bored with yeah. it maybe yeah I, I don't know but we did watch um the latest episode of Ted Lasso last night yeah you, you did it? okay so Nothing for those happens. of you watching Ted Lasso yeah it wasn't I, that great it was a episode yep I said to Frank when it was over I was like well that wasn't great 
Yeah. I feel like it was like a bridge episode. Like it's trying to get us somewhere in the future. Yeah. But it was really kind of boring yeah. in the middle. Yeah. 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 So like they accomplished some things plot wise yeah. in that episode that sets us up for the future, but it was just a throwaway, Yeah, which sucks because I the never two episodes that before that so were good. so amazing. So, 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 so yeah. good. I mean, I guess that, you know, they'll, you know, next one. I know they, they sometimes awesome. this is what you have to do. I know. I, I always say, can't like, always be awesome. Not every Julia Roberts movie is pretty woman. You know, they, well, there's some losers in there. There just has to be sometimes. Mm. So love Julie Roberts but anyway anyway all right yeah. you ready to talk about resilience um okay um when you hear the word resilient mm-hmm. what pops into your head bouncing back um overcoming um yeah like just be yeah the, I, I think that that captures it what about you yeah no I think pretty much the same thing like the bouncing back thing, I think, is is a great way to describe it because you know, in order to be resilient, you have to <laughs> you have to be coming up from being down, you know. Um, so yeah. that's kind of exactly what pops into my head too. Um, resilience has actually gotten a ton of attention in the psychological community, particularly in the last well, particularly in the last twenty years, but um, also like since COVID, it's yeah. huge. Yeah. It's huge. And so there's actually a ton of information it is. It's so about resilience, a ton of studies and things like that. And I just, I think it's absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. I think in our culture of toxic positivity, mm-hmm. resilience can sometimes get lumped into that. And that's it's not so at all it. True. Not at all it. Or like avoidance. Sure. Right. Or yeah, um, avoidance is not resilience. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I was trying to think of that. The other word is like suppressing your feelings. Like yeah. that's, a, that's, that's not, not resilience. resilience at all. Uh, you're right. I think that the culture we live in, because we see, you know, we look on, um, we look on Instagram and we see like these perfect lives that everybody is living. And it's hard because we, we feel like, I think we're set up to believe that life is supposed to be perfect. Right. That's right? adorable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, that's a really hard way to live because I think resilient people, I won't get into this, but you know, this, my first thought is like resilient people actually live with an understanding that life is unfair. Sure. And that yeah. failure is inevitable and failure is actually good. Mm-hmm. because you learn from it. Like the best inventors are the most resilient people because they sure. just like, oh, that didn't work. Okay, okay, sure. okay. Like they, so it's like this goes back to like what we've talked about that, that equanimity and that acceptance and that just being able to say, okay, it's not right. It's not wrong. It's not bad. It's not good. It just is. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that gets you really, really far. Yeah. And I think it's important to note, like resilience isn't always tied to failure sometimes yeah. things just happen. It happens. Like, yeah. It could be sure. anything at all. And I think we've all experienced something in at some point in our lives that we had the choice to either bounce back from or wallow in. Mm-hmm. And that's where I get really bummed. When I see people wallow in whatever that, that moment or that event or that illness or that failure, whatever that is, mm-hmm. And then walk around with that on them like a badge. Yeah. 
like you can have a pity party for sure. Oh my gosh, please do. Because sometimes life really sucks. Bad things really do happen. We both experience. Yeah, but like set an alarm for it. Yeah, don't stay at the party. Yeah. Too long, you know, and find find your way out. And there are ways to do that. And those are going to be some of the things over the next few weeks that we are really going to break down. How do you develop a resilient mindset? Because mm-hmm. it really is a mindset. Yeah. I think resiliency demands a growth mindset. Sure. Right. Because, and, and again, let's go back to what we've talked about in the past. Like we can, our brains are malleable. Totally. And so we can develop a growth mindset. We can develop a resilient mindset. And so I'm excited because I want to learn more. I want to become more resilient and, and just having this conversation, I'm excited to see how this impacts other people who, you know, are, um, you know, our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. So there are two people, Karen Rivich and Andrew Schatt, they're from university of Pennsylvania. They did a lot of research on resilience Mm -hmm. and they found that there are seven factors that you can find evidence of Mm -hmm. in people who are resilient. And they even were able to like create an evaluation to be able to see like, okay, where do I rank on these different factors to measure how resilient are you? And what's so cool about these factors that we're going to talk about is that each one of them is something we can work on. Mm -hmm. Like we don't have to be scoring high in all of them. Mm -hmm. They all come together to lead to this place of resilience. And individually we can work on each one of these areas. Yeah. Well, and let's, let's talk before we get into the seven things, let's talk a little bit about, I know you and I are both very passionate about this, this subject. Sure. Um, I think like you said, sometimes we make mistakes, we fail. Okay. We need to be resilient in the face of those failures, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes we're born into circumstances that are beyond our control. I mean, not sometimes we're all born into circumstances that are born, but circumstances that we would need to be resilient. Yes. Yes. Less desirable uh, um, circumstances. And so I think for me personally, I am very passionate about this because that was the case. Like from the time I was a very young child, I experienced a lot of um, dysfunction Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, through parents' alcoholism, drug addictions, uh, abuse, um, (laughs) criminal activity, right? Like, you know, drug smuggling. Um, is is not always a, a great environment to be a part of. Um, and just a lot of loss. Yeah. And divorce and uh, abandonment. And like, I mean, I could go on and on and on betrayal and um, and then my own, like then teenage years, very rebellious teenage years where I made a lot of mistakes and hung out. Choose, I chose the wrong friends and made a lot of poor decisions and pregnant at 18, you know, and like, really, I had all these dreams for my life, my life, my lives for my life. And, um, and then found myself going, holy crap. Now what do I do? Yeah. You know? And, um, yeah. And so as, as I'm like reading and research, uh, reading about the research around resilience and this, you know, um, overcoming adversity and bouncing back and all of this, I'm, I just get more and more fired up because I'm like, 
sometimes we become resilient <laughs> just out of necessity and survival. Yeah. However, I guess the reality is not everybody chooses resilience. It's true. It's true. It was actually just a couple of weeks ago. Um, I had met with my coach and, you know, I was in like the throes of um, my flare and, you know, just having had surgery not too, you know, long before that. And one of the things he said to me was something along the lines of like, I can't believe you're still standing. Mm. You just keep getting back up. And I, I said to him, what's the alternative? Mm. What's the alternative? I don't really have a choice. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I could, I could sit in the corner and suck my thumb and, and in the fetal position and rock, mm -hmm. or I can get up and at least try to continue living my freaking life. Right. Like those are the options. And we do have a choice. We do. We really, really do. Yeah. Um, because I know plenty of people who have chosen to stay down. Yeah. Um, I just don't have that in me. And I think sometimes when we look at it, some people don't have the resources, right? Oh my gosh, for they, sure. No, they don't yes. know how, like yes. they've not, it's not been modeled for them. Um, they don't have the community around them, the literal resources, right? Yeah. Like there are things that we're going to talk about that there are things that you can actually do to take your power back Yeah. to become resilient. Um, yeah. I don't know. So what about you? Like what, why, why is this so such a passionate topic? Um, for you. Yeah. Because I've had to do it. And I think I don't recognize how often I've had to do it. Like my mm -hmm. childhood was, <laughs> I mean, it was fine. Like when I look back on it now, I see it mostly as a positive. When you write it all out on paper, it's like, oh crap, mm -hmm. I've been through some stuff. Cause yeah, it's been a number of divorces um, with my parents and moved to another country and then back again. And yeah. I had a uh, stepfather who was just well, okay, here's what I want to say. Who was just a piece of shit. I'm sorry. He really just was. Um, there's just no getting around it. Mm -hmm. I don't have a better, more eloquent way to say it. Um, but like, I look at, even now, like I look at some of those things. If it weren't for him, I wouldn't have my brother mm. whom I love to death. Yeah. You know? And so there's just, yeah. <laughs> See, that's a resilient mindset, right? There. It, it is. What you just said. No, it totally is. Mm -hmm. It totally is. So like when I look back on it as a whole, it's a positive. If you want to break it down, you know, there's some, there's some stuff for sure. Yeah. But I think my biggest um, wrestling with resilience is definitely as an adult. Mm. No question as an adult. Frank and I have been through stuff. Mm -hmm. We've been through financial stuff. We, when we were in our twenties, We've yeah. been through, I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how much serious stuff when our kids were little, mm. they were in and out of the hospital yeah. constantly. And that's really what led to a lot of the financial stuff. Um, you know, we, we've been through all that. I went through my whole thing. Like I went through PTSD mm. after I had my daughter and got a staph infection that I almost did not survive. Right. You know, I dealt with, you know, probably three, four years of PTSD from that, but I was also proactive in it because I didn't want to stay there. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think about, you know, I did hair and had a salon for 15 years. Yeah. And then met. wake up one morning and my arm just is in excruciating pain and I can't do it anymore. Right. And now I've got to start over and this is all I know how to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think resilience is something that 
I, I don't actually put a lot of thought into. It's just what I have to do. Yeah. 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 Did you ever find yourself in like, when we talked earlier about the pity party thing, did mm-hmm. you ever find yourself after experiencing all of those things stuck in the pity party, kind of having a victim mindset or a bitter, like being bitter? Yeah. Um, physical pain will do that to me. Mm. Physical pain makes it real easy to slip into that mindset. So when my arm stuff first started back at the end of 2012, I was in so much pain, 24 hours a day. Yeah, It was, I, I mean, I can't begin to explain to you, like they gave me narcotics which didn't even touch it. Mm. It was horrible. And I didn't have a diagnosis for three years. Gosh, They just bounced me around going, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and so during that time where I really couldn't, I mean, till I went to surgery, I could not dress myself anymore. Mm. Frank would have to help me. He'd have to help me do my hair. Like I did not have the range of motion, everything hurt. And so during that time, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I spent some time in the pity party because I couldn't see a way out. Yeah. Cause the pain gets kind of blinding sometimes. Oh my gosh. It's so true. Yeah. I remember when I was like, when they were trying to figure out what was wrong with me. I had just joint pain everywhere. Couldn't, couldn't button my jeans. Couldn't my, just my hands were so inflamed. I had so much pain. Couldn't sleep. Couldn't, couldn't function. Couldn't yeah. Walk like literally couldn't hold my babies. Yep. And like felt like everything was stripped away from me. Yeah. Like I'm 30 years old. This is like the time of my, it's supposed to be the time of my life. And I felt like my life was over. And then it was a while till I got a diagnosis. Then I got the diagnosis and it was like, okay. And there was part of me that was just like a big part of me that was like, are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. Why? Like I'm a person. Oh, listen, I had arguments with God. Oh man. I was so pissed at him. It's like, are you yeah. kidding me? After all I've been through, and then Jim and I experienced some really horrific things in our marriage. And I remember like meeting with Pastor Brian, you know, going to the church one day and I looked at him, went in his office. I'm crying my eyes out. I am like devastated. I'm like, my marriage is over. Like, this is just like the end of the, it felt like the end of the world. And I remember looking at Pastor Brian and I said to him, don't you cliche, like, oh, don't yeah. you throw Bible don't verses you even. me or cliche this away or tell me, you know, like, oh, this is going to be a great testimony someday Ugh. or something. Cause, and I looked, Such garbage. I looked at him, he remembers it to this day. I looked at him, I put my finger right in his face and I was like, I mean, I was broken. I was, I was, I was angry. Um, and I just looked at him and I was like, I don't want another freaking testimony. And he was just like, okay, um, okay. Like, yeah. Okay. You know, and it was great. Cause he was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. This sucks. Yeah. And I was like, yes. Anyway. But I also remember like being 19, 20 years old, talk about like having a har- horrible stepfather. Like I was full of rage. I felt like a victim. Mm-hmm. I felt I, I was abused and I felt like I was a victim and I was right. But I had a victim mentality, kind of victim mindset. And also I was so bitter, so bitter and so full of rage. And it took a a hot minute, years, right? For me to learn to forgive, for me to learn to not forget, but for me to like put that, to process those emotions, do all of those things. And then I remember getting to a point, again, this was years where I, I was like, oh, hold on now. 
like, I truly mean this when I say this. I am the person I am today because of all of the crap. Sure. Right? Yeah. And so, um, but I think some people get stuck oh, in for the victim sure. mentality and in the bitterness and the why me and the, um, and that is a really dangerous, lonely. Yeah. Those things. So to me, when I hear getting stuck in like the, the why me, and I can't believe this has happened. And why is this my life? I actually said, why is this my life this morning? Oh, that's because funny. I have such a bad knot in my upper back. Like it's so bad and I can't get rid of it. And sometimes it's worse than other times. And I'm sitting there with this great, like this, what do they call it? A therapy cane. It's sh- It's like S shaped okay. and it has all these like knobby things on it so that you can reach trigger points in your back with it yourself. I need, except I couldn't, oh, it's, it's awkward as all get out, but I couldn't like find the right spot. So Frank's like moving it around and like rubbing it on the knot on my back. And I'm like, why is this my life? Why? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think about, you know, getting stuck there and it's like, there are times where I just want to tell people like, it's okay. Just stay there for a little bit. Yes. It's like, dang. yes. You know, but, but it is, it is a choice to yeah. get back up. It, we have a choice right. in all of it. Yep. We are not just victims of our circumstances, right? Because here's the thing we've been over this. We learned circumstances only account for 10% of our happiness. Yep. 10%. 10%. That's it. Yep. So you know, whatever we're telling ourselves, whatever story we've created mm-hmm. about why we're unhappy and what led to that, uh, it's 10% of the story. Yeah. It's 10%. That's it. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about most of the 90, the yeah. other 90, right? Yep. Yep. Because you do have a choice and, um, and that, like, I want to be so careful, right? Because I also don't want to minimize or make yeah make light of somebody's circumstances oh gosh or no pain or their suffering or because it's real like there's yeah. there's a lot of hard hard things that we go through in lives in in our lives and I think that that's part of and we'll probably this will probably come up right but part of it is recognizing that like yeah we, right like oh my oh, goodness everyone totally suffers is. everyone well, goes. yeah so let's well let's get into this yeah because the first factor of resilience of you know what makes a resilient person is emotional regulation so that's mm. your ability to stay calm yeah right stay calm under pressure and be able to identify your emotional experience and control your emotional responses to external events mm. I, it's like when, when you hear, and I've probably said it too, like, I couldn't help it. I just blew up. I just exploded. Well, you could help it because that's evidence of low emotional regulation. Mm. I was explaining it um, because my daughter's now a psych nerd, which I absolutely love. And I was explaining it to her last night. And I said, you know, it's also the ability to separate yourself from your emotions Mm. because oftentimes we tend to think we are our emotions Mm -hmm. and we are not it's true we are not and so if you are able to separate yourself view your emotion in front of you like it's sitting in front of you and then decide what to do from there that's amazing emotional regulation I'm hearing a psychologist talk about I I like this the visual of identifying the emotion 
similar to what you just said, but it's just a little bit different. And I think a little more empowering where you identify the emotion inside of your body. Where yep. do I feel? Where it? is it? Right. Yep. Where is this feeling? What is the feeling? Name it. The feelings wheel is a phenomenal tool to mm-hmm. use for this. We've talked about it before. Just going back. It's not, don't just get, get in the like, oh, I'm mad. I'm sad. Yeah. It's right? much more than that. Right. I'm happy. Like go drill down, look at that feelings wheel, name it. Now, like pull it out of yourself, like physically take your hands and wherever that feeling is in your body, pull it out and hold it in front of you. Yeah. Right. Because when you're holding it in front of you, you have power. Yeah. Right. It's that separation. And, and you're looking at it and you're saying, okay, I see you. Mm-hmm. Disappointment. I see you. I'm not you. You're out here. I'm over here. Okay. What are you trying to tell me? Yeah. What do I need to do with this or whatever? But I'm not that yes. emotion. I think that is That's exactly really, right. really good. And there's so many little techniques and tips. It's so funny. I actually just saw a thing on like Instagram this morning. Um, it was a picture of Pedro Pascal, who is now like America's boyfriend. And after watching The Last of Us, oh my gosh, it was so good. My goodness, he was amazing. But anyway, mm. he um, was at the Met Gala this week. And apparently there's a pose that he does all the time where he's got his hand somewhere on his, it's not his chest, it's kind of like his midsection. Hmm. I don't know if it's a right side or left side, but if you look at pictures of Pedro Pascal, um, you'll see he often poses this way and somebody asked him why. And his response was, because that's where I feel nervousness in my body. Mm. And so he's physically touching it going, okay, I see you. And it helps him stay grounded and in his body and not carried away by the emotion. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? I love that. Yes. So yeah, there's a couple of like questions you can ask yourself to see, like, how am I doing with emotional regulation? One is, even if I plan ahead for a discussion with my boss, a coworker, my spouse, or my child, I still feel myself acting emotionally. If you can answer yes to that, you're probably a little bit low on emotional regulation. Um, I can control the way I feel when adversity strikes. That would be evidence of high emotional regulation. I'm good at identifying what I'm thinking and how it affects my mood. Mm. That's huge. I think that's something we do on the daily or should yeah, do on should the do. daily. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're able to do that, you're probably relatively high in emotional regulation. And again, these factors are all things we can work on individually. Yeah. Yeah. I think breathing too, right? Oh, for like sure. Taking time. So if something happens and we want to immediately, depending on what it is, right? Lash out or react or whatever it is, but like just taking time to pause. Yeah. And just breathe in slowly, breathe out slowly. I think box breathing is a really awesome technique, but that helps. That certainly helps to emotionally regulate. Oh my gosh, yeah. I think I, this just coming up like in my brain sometimes. So if you have teenagers, um, and, but this works with everyone, right? Like sometimes I think because hormonal imbalances and stuff like that, like there are certain times in our lives where we mm-hmm. react, right? Like we, like emotional outbursts. Um, and I remember hearing uh, a psychologist, I think it was a psychologist or a counselor therapist talk about um, a snow globe. Yes. Yeah. I hear right? that a lot. This yes. concept of a snow globe, like when something negative happens, it's like a snow globe and you're shaking, 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 shaking. And sometimes what we need to do for someone who is mm-hmm. not emotionally regulating is to just let sit with them, be present 
and just let the glitter settle. Yeah. And then have a conversation, right? Well, and here's, here's the thing with that. It actually works really well if you have an actual snow globe. Yeah, that's true. Because oftentimes when you're in that state, you can't just sit and get out of it. Yeah. It's not, you, it, that's not the way it works right. because you don't have access to your prefrontal cortex, which is where all reasoning is. Mm-hmm. You do not have access to it because your inner brain, that core brain is going berserk. Right. And so tapping into your senses, like sight, watching the snow and the snow globe mm-hmm. fall, um, get out and go for a walk. Yes. Breathing. Anything that gets you in your body. Yep. Shuts down that part of your limbic system. Yeah. That's going crazy. And that five, so, four, three, two, one technique, right? Like absolutely. what are five things that I see four things that I, I would get them yep. mixed up, but right. Like that is just a really great way to, it is like, yeah. Let the, let the glitter settle. Let it settle. Yeah. So yeah. So another second factor of resilience is impulse control, (laughs) impulse control. So it's your ability to control your behavior, to achieve your goals. It's delaying gratification. Mm. It's this one gets me. It's tolerating ambiguity. Mm. I do not tolerate ambiguity well (laughs) at all. I freaking hate ambiguity. (laughs) Clarity is kindness. Mm -hmm. And I think that's Brene Brown. Clarity is kindness. Really? Do not come at me. Yeah. Well, then don't come at me. Figure it out and then let me know. Yeah. Like uh, ambiguity drives me crazy. So I probably don't score real high on this one. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But some questions you can ask yourself about impulse control. Like, am I good at shutting out anything that distracts me from the task I'm doing? Or do you get distracted? easily. Hmm. If you're distracted easily, you're going to be lower in impulse control. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I, lower in impulse control. Yeah. Yeah. And and we'll see this in here. <laughs> I am very impulsive. <laughs> I give in to the urge to give up when things go wrong. Boy, I don't know where I fall on that one, to be honest with you. I really would have to sit with that. But I that's... know where I fall. I do not give up. No, you are like a pit bull. I'm going to freaking figure it out. You're yeah. Yeah. Uh, when a problem occurs, I'm aware of the first thought that pops into my head about it. Mm. Now, I am very aware of the first thought that pops into my head about anything. Always? Oh, yes. That's cool. A hundred percent of the time. Yes. Because often it's terrible. The first thought oh, is terrible. So it's like, I can recognize it and go, right. okay, so we can't go with that. <laughs> what's what's my second thought? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, never act on your first thought. That's the aid in you too, your right? Second thought. Maybe that Absolutely. intense, like advocate, yeah, Absolutely. justice warrior. Mm-hmm. And then this one, oy vey. I prefer <laughs> doing things spontaneously rather than planning ahead, even if it means it doesn't turn out as well. That's you in a nutshell. Your freaking life spontaneity. I know. That's slow impulse control. <laughs> I don't even care. <laughs> I was thinking about this because I love spontaneity when it happens. I prefer planning by a whole lot. Next. Uh, I am. Are you? Yeah, I really am. I don't, I've not always been, but I am now. Okay. I think being in leadership for so many years, like I had to force myself to plan and to come up with agendas and like, right. To honor other people yeah. and not use it as a badge to be a jerk. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, 
in my fun life, in my personal life. And, you know, yeah, I love spontaneity. Yes. I love, like, if you called me up and you were like, Hey, let's go blah, 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 blah. And like, we didn't have a plan. I'd be like, if I can drop everything, I am dropping everything and I'm making it happen. Even if I can't drop everything, I'm going to drop, drop it everything. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, because I, I love, I, see, that's that, that sounds counterintuitive to me because I think resilient people are, sponta- are spontaneous. There is zero evidence to support that. You know, you've read all the evidence. No, I've read a lot. No, and I have too, but I'm just saying, I just think, um, excuse me, ma'am. Do you in fact have an associate's degree from Verm Tech? And if anybody gets that film reference, please tell me, send me a message because we use it all the time. Yeah. No, there's not evidence to support that. Well, no, listen to what I'm saying though. When I think of spontaneity, it's the second part of what you said. Being spontaneous. Uh, what did you say? Like something about without knowing the outcome? No, um, at the expense of it turning out as well. Like I'd rather do something spontaneously as opposed to planned, even if I know it's not going to turn out as well. Turn out as well. So like, okay. so here's what I think of when I think of that. Hey, let's go to New York City today. We'll drive up. We'll go see Hamilton. Okay. We're probably going to have super crappy seats because this or is none. like super last minute or none. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Whereas if we planned it months ahead and I bought the tickets and we had amazing seats, yeah. then we know it's going to be awesome, but it doesn't have the factor of spontaneity. Okay. So let me tell you what I mean then. So if you said, let's drive to New York city, take a shot at t- getting, this is what I would hear. Yeah. Take a shot at getting Hamilton tickets. Um, we get to New York city, we can't get the tickets or they're even crappy tickets. I'm going to make the most out of that experience. If we can't get the tickets, we're going to get tickets somewhere else. And it's going to be amazing. It's going to be, we're going to create the, like, right. So that's, I relate that to resilience of like, okay, things didn't work out the way that we were hoping they would, but something else is going to work out and it's going to be awesome. Yeah. And if it's not, something and else is going to work out. what you're saying awesome. has nothing to do with spontaneity. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So yeah. that was that part, that second part yeah. where I was like, oh wait, no, because even if it doesn't work out, the spontaneous thing doesn't work out. You're, I'll, right. I'll make it work out. Yeah. But then we're talking about something entirely yes, different. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. The next factor of resilience is self-efficacy. Mm. Self-efficacy is your belief to be able to do accomplish whatever it is that you're doing. It's your belief that I have the skills I have the know-how, I can do this. Mm -hmm. It's a sense of mastery, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Self-efficacy is huge. My daughter just did an entire like 30 page paper for her research class, Mm -hmm. all on self-efficacy. It it is just absolutely fascinating, but high self-efficacy is a hundred percent going to lead to a greater sense of resilience. So if you want to know, you know, where do I kind of fall when it comes to self-efficacy, Here's some things to consider. The first one is I would rather do something at which I feel confident and relaxed than something that is quite challenging and difficult. Mm. If you would rather do something that's easy, Mm -hmm. you're going to be scoring lower in self-efficacy because you don't believe you could handle the challenging thing. Yeah. I love that when it comes to self-efficacy, like choose courage over comfort. Yeah. Right. Yep. Because that's how you build those resilience muscles. Like find, give yourself a challenge, do a hard thing. 
and you'll build up those muscles. Yeah. I, I say to myself, probably on the daily at some point, I say, I can do hard things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can do hard things. Yeah. Um, another thing you could ask, I expect that I will do well on most things. Mm. You know, do you expect that you'll do well on most things or do you expect to fail? Mm-hmm. If you expect to fail, you've got some low self-efficacy. Mm-hmm. I remember when back, way back when I got my first coaching certificate, probably like eight years ago. And Frank saying something to me like, well, what are you going to do if you don't get clients? <laughs> and I said to him, and, and I swear to you, I, I, I was like, it never occurred to me that I wouldn't. Mm. And that was the truth. It never crossed my mind that I wouldn't get clients, but yeah. that's ridiculous. Yeah. So that's high self-efficacy. Jim there. did the same thing when the first time I said, and this was like 15 years ago, I was like, I want to be a life coach and a business coach. And I need to go back to school to do it. And we didn't have money at the time. And it was thousands of dollars to go to coach, coach you. And, um, and so I, you know, it's like, no, I want to do this. Like I'll figure out a way to we'll find the money. Like when he was just like, okay, but like, what if, what if you do it? And then this ends up being something that you, you, you do it. And then you're like, oh, that's not really what I want. And I was like, well, I'll be a better person. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be a better friend. I'll be a better wife. I'll be, cause I'm going to learn listening skills yeah. and you know, how to ask powerful questions and like, yeah. And, and I'll be a better person. And so, yeah. So what? Yeah. It's an investment in myself. Yep. Moving on. Yeah. High self-efficacy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's get the next one. The next one is reaching out. Well, mm. This is mm. the crux. <laughs> this is the crux of all of positive psychology, of all of happiness and happiness theory and all that fun stuff is connection. So, you know, do you have social support? Do you feel comfortable reaching out to others? Because the more you have of either of those things, the more resilience you're going to be able to tap into. So, you know, ask yourself, am I the kind of person who likes to try new things? I like to try new things just for the sake of them being new. Yeah. I love that. I know you do too. Yes. Like it's just like whatever. Yes. Um, what other people think about me does not influence my behavior. Mm. That's a hard one. And I feel like that's not like a yes or no. I feel like that's a, that's a, on a scale of one to 10. <laughs> and at any given moment. Because we all do that <laughs> to an extent. Yes. We all let what other people think of us affect our behavior. For sure. Some now, less than others. Some more than others mm-hmm. by a lot, mm-hmm. because I have a tendency to make those people very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I have lost friends over that. And it's fine. I'm sure they're not listening. Yeah. I am uncomfortable when meeting new people. I love meeting new people. I do too. So I'm comfortable though. I can't say that like, cause I am, and again, this goes back to, you can probably say the same thing. I moved a lot when I was a kid. I went to many different schools. And so I had no choice. Like every time I show up at a new school, it's like, I got to make new friends, got to make new friends, got to make new friends. And so I think that helped me like to be more resilient in that and being able to not be uncomfortable and love meeting new people. Cause I love, I just love people and I love their stories. I love their journeys. Um, but I can't say that when I walk into a room, I don't feel a level of discomfort or like awkwardness or yeah. like, uh, now once well, I, I think get that's it, totally normal. I'm like, you know, if they're not jerks yeah, and whatever, like I I'm like, Oh, I love it. I, I come alive in those environments. But yeah. Yeah. Still again, I think it's a, a bit of a, 
a spectrum yeah for that for, for sure, sure. Uh, the next one is empathy and I love the way they kind of described empathy in this it's can read other people's cues to their emotional states it's that ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes mm -hmm. if you have low empathy you are probably not going to score high in resilience mm -hmm. because again if you if you can't <laughs> If you can't see the world around you and what everyone else is going through as well, mm -hmm. it's very, very hard to, I don't know, like to break out of that and be better. Yeah. Yeah. It's really difficult. So, you know, these statements to, to kind of examine for yourselves, like by looking at their facial expression, I recognize the emotions people are experiencing. Mm -hmm. Can you do that? Are you able to do that? I'm pretty darn good at that. Mm -hmm. Um, and now I'm going to say something that's probably like overgeneralizing and polarizing. I have found that women tend to be better at that than men. Hmm. They're a little bit more observant and in tune to the emotions of the people around them mm -hmm. than men tend to be. Yes. Um, just I have found that as in my experience as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it's law, mm -hmm. but that has been my experience. Um, yeah, I, it's kind of like. We, I can remember when we would have groups here all the time at the end, Frank would be like, that was great. I'm like, yeah, but I think so-and-so was really uncomfortable. He was like, what the heck are you talking about? Yeah. Like, did you see their face? Yeah. Their face was fine. I'm like, no, it was not. Yeah. Just go to bed. <laughs> yeah. I used to, you know, from working with me, like, uh, and actually just from being friends too, right? Like I have this thing that like, if you know me really well and we communicate often, I have this cue that I, I say oh, what's your face oh I say that all the time right like yeah that's what's your face that is because I also don't want to make an assumption that I'm reading you the right way because what I have found sure. right is different people some people just have a really they're hard to read crazy bitter resting face <laughs> <laughs> right um but their their face it really isn't isn't matching their emotion yeah they're just that's their a resting face yeah. and so um yeah and so I think that but that's a really disarming thing right is to I remember even sitting in a meeting with um Candy and Candy listens to this podcast she won't she won't mind me sharing the story but and then a, a, like a new staff member and he comes in and we're having a meeting and he's bringing his like whole social media plan for her and her team and like how he's gonna you know work this out and everything he's really excited about this young guy new on the team fresh ideas and her face was like stoic like just like <laughs> like I'm bored I hate this you suck like that's yeah. what how I was reading it but I knew that that wasn't it because I know her really well and so I just said hey hey because then then I, I kept watching him kind of like should I keep talking should I keep talking what's going on right now? Holy crap. And he was getting discouraged. I could see it happening. And so I stopped. I said, Hey, Hey, I said, can, can we just pause? And they both were like, Oh, sure. Sure. And I said, Candy, what's your face? And she was like, oh, am I doing it? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. I love these ideas, you know, and it just yeah. changed everything, but sometimes, yeah. So I think it's, it's, I think it's true. Like wanting to be aware. Sure. Right. Like, it's, it's uh, when I think about it, it's like, read the room. Yes. Can you read the room? Yes. Because if you can read the room, you're going to have higher empathy. Do you know the research? I'm sure you do. Right. Like that shows that if you want to raise empathetic kids, if you want to raise kids who end up being empathetic, 
encourage them to read nonfiction books. Have you ever heard that? No, but it makes total There's sense. There's a ton of yeah, research out there because sense. you're able by reading by kids, you know, from an early age reading, they're able to put themselves in somebody else's shoes, yeah. which increases empathy, Absolutely. which is in, increases resilience. Yep. Yep. Um, another statement you can examine to see where you fall with empathy. I feel at a loss to understand why people react the way they do. Mm. I mm. know for certain that I fall the opposite of that mm-hmm. because I have made excuses for people because yeah. I know why they act the way they do. Right. Everybody I have taken story. that the other direction at times, not all the time, Yeah, but I have done that. Yeah. Yeah. So if you knew everybody's story, you would understand why they react the way they do. Exactly. If you knew if <laughs> I, I remember trying to explain this to people, like when it comes to political views mm-hmm. in particular, What everybody thinks makes perfect sense to them. It does. What everybody thinks makes perfect sense. Especially now with the way the algorithms are feeding us what we want. Another podcast. (laughs) Um, So yeah, are you able to kind of like tap into that? And my significant other and or close friends tell me that I don't understand them. Boy, they, if you have people tell you, you don't understand me. Mm you're probably a little low on empathy. Right. Yeah. Wow. Because again, you're not able to put yourself in their shoes. Yeah. Yeah. So empathy is definitely a factor Mm -hmm. in resilience. Mm -hmm. No question. Um, This one might even be, this next one might even be the biggest. And we're going to talk about it a bit um, in the upcoming weeks, but it's optimism. Mm -hmm. Now, optimism is not Toxic positivity. Big it is not spinning. It is not bright siding. Yep. It is not silver lining somebody. Don't do that to people. Okay. Optimism is hope for the future wedded in reality. Mm. It's not ignoring, overlooking, suppressing. suppressing. It is deeply bedded in reality. It's believing that things can change for the better based on reality right again like i've been in situations where oh it can get better it can get better no no in this particular situation it cannot and while i appreciate the optimism it is not bedded in reality right so it's i think it's also the reality of thinking that things are going to go so something happens a difficult thing happens thinking that things are ever going to go back to the way that they were oh i think there's this resilient people have let me talk about wedded wedded in reality yeah it's the reality of whatever circumstance i face i am going to come out different yeah right like like there's going to be a new normal yeah it's never going to go back to the way that it was because it it can't no like when you go through something difficult you morph you change you adapt um yeah and gosh when i think about what our entire world has been through over the last three years. So much trauma. To expect that any of us would be the same mm-hmm. is just unrealistic. Yeah. We can't possibly be. Right. We've all collectively gone through something we have never gone through before. Right. Every single one of us. On so many different levels. And we are not going to be the same. I feel right. like this period of time right now is like a 
getting to know everyone you knew all over again. It's so true. Yeah. So true. Yeah. It's a little scary if somebody has stayed the same. I don't want to stay the same. If you've stayed the same after all of this, since the last three years, that is a red flag that you are suppressing, that you are not grounded in reality. Yes. That you are refusing to look at everything that has happened and how you feel, how you've handled it, what you think about it. It's unexamined. Yeah. And the unexamined life is not one worth living. It's true. Yeah. Oh, love that. Yeah. Unexamined life is not one worth living. So questions to kind of examine when you're looking at optimism and trying to see, you know, here's one of them. I believe that it's better to believe problems are controllable, even if that's not always true. That's interesting because one of the other things that they use to describe optimism is focusing on what is controllable and making change there. Mm -hmm. Right. So I believe that it's better to believe problems are controllable, even if that's not always true. If you can agree with that statement, you probably are higher in optimism. Mm. Because again, when you have this mentality of everything's out of my control. Yeah. Victim. That is not optimism. That is victim. Exactly. Yes, yes. And and while there are some things we can't control, yeah, there are always things that we can. Yeah. Resilient people focus on the things that they can control. Yeah. And then they accept the things that they can't. It reminds me of the serenity prayer, right? I sure. think that that is like such a powerful thing. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage, again, courage over comfort the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference because it does take wisdom, but you, there are definitely things you can control. And if Absolutely. you focus on those, it's kind of like, okay, then you can get yeah. through, you can bounce back. Well, and here's the thing, it. when you can develop a sense of control over the things that you can control, the things that you can't control don't seem as big. So true. They really don't. Yep. You just need that little bit. Yeah. That little bit to get that ball of optimism rolling. Yep. Yeah. Another statement to consider when somebody overreacts to a problem, I think it's usually because they're just in a bad mood that day. And I expect that I will do well on most things. So yeah, when somebody overreacts to a problem, I think it's usually because they're just in a bad mood that day. That's very interesting. Hmm. So it's, not taking it personally. Okay. Is really what that boils down to. Okay. When somebody overreacts to a problem, it's, well, they're having an off day. It's not catastrophizing. Uh, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not going, oh my gosh, the ship is sinking. Or they hate me. They hate me. My job is in jeopardy or whatever it is. Yeah. Now nah, they're probably just having a bad day. Yeah. And that's optimistic. Yeah. And sometimes it's super optimistic. <laughs> yeah. It's giving the gift of benevolence. Yes. Right. Like resilient people give the gift of benevolence. They assume the best about another yes. person. They don't take it personal. They, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yep. Totally. Totally. And I believe most problems are caused by circumstances beyond my control. Mm. If you believe most problems are caused by circumstances beyond your control, you are going to be scoring lower in yeah. optimism. Yeah. Because again, it's it's about finding those things that you can right. and not feeling helpless Yeah, and certainly not getting into learned helplessness, which is a whole other thing that I think will come up in these upcoming weeks. Right. The last factor that I want to talk about, and I absolutely feel like this one is vital, is causal analysis. So this is flexible and accurate thinking about causes and implications. 
It's taking perspective of whatever the situation is. So when I was explaining this to my daughter last night, it's the classic example of my mom and dad got divorced. It must be my fault. Mm. Um, no, <laughs> that is not accurate causal analysis. Mm -hmm. It's not right. That's low causal analysis. Um, to be able to look at a situation and see, okay, what actually happened here instead of playing the blame game yes. or whatever that does to also blame mm -hmm. game puts you in the victim position. Mm -hmm. Like that's just Stop not a it. place to be. Stop the blame game. It's not a place own to be. what you can own. Yep. Move forward. Yep. Can you get perspective mm. on whatever that triggering event was? Can you get accurate perspective hmm. on whatever that triggering event was. So like asking yourself when a problem arises, I come up with a lot of possible scenarios or solutions before trying to solve it. Mm -hmm. So if you're able to do that, you're going to fall a little higher on causal analysis because you're examining the whole thing, mm -hmm. right? You're coming up with all these different possible solutions to accurately find, okay, what is the right cause here? Yeah. Or am I just blaming it on one thing on right. one person? Mom and dad's divorce was my fault. Yeah. You know, it's, it's looking around a little bit broader. Mm -hmm. um, another statement, I've been told that I jump to conclusions when problems arise. If you are jumping to conclusions, that is yes. low and poor causal analysis. Resilient people are curious. Yes. Right. They ask good questions. They don't make assumptions right yes. away. They, yeah, dig in and explore all of the options. That's, oh my gosh. Yeah. Because I love, you know, this definition being flexible and accurate mm. thinking about causes and implications. Mm -hmm. Flexible. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. And accurate. Like, is this true or is it not? Or yes. am I just making this up? Am yeah. I catastrophizing? Um, the last statement is, I think it's important to solve problems as quickly as possible, even if that means sacrificing a full understanding of the problem. Now, I think in my interpretation of this, if you answer yes to that, I believe that would be low causal analysis because causal analysis, again, goes back to accurate. Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing. I think we spend way too much time coming up with solutions for problems that don't exist or we don't understand. We don't understand for sure. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We answer questions. Nobody's asking. Yes. <laughs> we we right. solve things we don't have an understanding of. So true. We give it government is great when we don't even know like what the person needs. Or we yes. don't know what we're talking about. Right. I mean, really? Yes. We yes. don't know what we're talking about. So I, I do believe that that would be low cost. That's analysis. like, I mean, if you're in the business world or whatever, like, I think, it, I feel like I tried to start every meeting with like, what problem are we trying to solve? Asking the question, what problem are we trying to solve or what are, right? Like, yeah, just to get, or what do we want? What do we hope that, you know, in an hour from now, we walk out of this room, we have accomplished. And then it's crazy when you do that and you go around the room many times people have different ideas yeah. and it's so important to get on the same page about like what is the actual problem yes what are we trying to do 100 percent. before we start getting into strategy and like and then yeah yeah well and I think we see oftentimes with this one in particular like we this is where we can 
unfortunately, particularly on socials, end up seeing a lot of soapboxing. Oh my gosh. Because they don't have a full understanding of what the actual situation or problem is, but they have a whole lot of answers. Yeah. Yeah. That's not great. How smart I am. That's not just let's shut up. How about that? Yep. (laughs) Yep. So those are the seven factors of resilience that they have found. And I think they're fascinating. And I know that we're going to be diving into some of these a lot, a lot more in the upcoming weeks, but I think this was a fantastic start. Yeah, yeah, it really was. There's so, so much in this around this topic. And so I think it's so, again, so empowering because there are things you can do. This is not, you're not born resilient. You develop resilient skills and you can, yeah, you can develop this mind, resilient mindset. And that, I mean, when, when I think about living your freaking life, like that to me, when you live a resilient life, Oh, I think that's the best life. Yeah. I think it's absolutely vital to our human flourishing to be resilient. It really actually is because like you had said, shit's going to happen. Yes. It just is. And there are going to be things we have no control over. Yeah. Like everything that happened with COVID and quarantine and all that. Mm -hmm. We couldn't control it. Yep. We couldn't control it, but there were things we could do Mm -hmm. that help us cope and get through and bounce back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. It's good stuff. It is. Looking forward to next week. Yes. Talking about post-traumatic growth. You're going to talk about post-traumatic growth. That's going to be a good one. Yeah. I am super excited to talk about this. See you next week, guys. Bye. Bye.